up guys? Today I want to do something a little different. I want to talk to you in a topical sense. I'm going to talk to you about progressive revelation and explain exactly what the idea is behind progressive revelation. And if you'll allow me to take my time so I don't skip over too many things, just let me take my time and explain it to you so that you'll get a really good understanding exactly what it is. It's one of those theological terms, and you know how that is, but one of those theological terms that we use to explain how God revealed his word. You know, of course, within God's word, he reveals a part of himself and even, even so a part of his plan. And such is the case, the plan of God that has been in the mind of God from the beginning. So, and when I'm, when I'm trying to say all of that is this, you got to understand this. God does not, by very nature of him being God, God does not have to come up with a plan based upon the situation because of the very nature of God. God knows all things and he knows all things before they ever happen, even ahead of time. God, and that's, that's one part of God's nature. Okay, that omniscient part, knowing all things, but also working in conjunction with that is the sovereignty of God. So, and it's a beautiful concept how they merge together so wonderfully. He knows all things, but the sovereignty of God simply means he has all power. So as you kind of bring those two concepts together, knowing all things, and, and, and that brings it. We often think of the sense of predictive quality, but you cannot take away from the sovereignty of God at the same time. That is, he has the power to do what he wishes to do. All things will work according to his will. It's going to do exactly what he has planned it and stated it to do, even from the beginning. So you kind of merge those two ideas together that omniscience of God and the sovereignty of God. And, the, and in that sense, we bring about what we call progressive revelation. Now, so let's talk about what progressive revelation is. And we're going to look at Hebrews 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And, and by the scriptures itself, it will give us an idea, even more complete idea of progressive revelation. Okay. But in a nutshell, progressive revelation is the means by which God revealed his word, his prophetic word, his plan, his intent to mankind. We just simply call that as Christians, we call that the Bible. The way in which God revealed his word a little bit at a time until God came upon a complete revelation of that word to give us a final package in the word where the word is, is, is never subtracted from or added to. So the idea is in progressive revelation, what God did was he gave us a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And in that revelation of the word, God was not so much concerned with chronology. 
That is, we know approximately about 25% of the scripture is prophecy, okay? But when you look at prophecy, God is not always concerned about then this will happen and then when God gives another prophecy, it's in chronological order to a previous prophecy that he gave. Number one, he would speak through a number of the prophets. He would speak at different times in human history. And sometimes God would go back and forward in that particular prophecy. So we know that prophecy is not always concerned about chronology. God would say, for example, in the book of Genesis, and that now it is a now that's a beautiful concept. Genesis 3 and 15 dealing with restoration and redemption. That, that is, we know Adam sinned when he ate of what we call the forbidden fruit, all right? But in Genesis 3 and 15, in that section, God spoke of redemption that would come by virtue, by way of a seed. Now, he spoke of a spiritual battle, the seed of the serpent, that is the seed of the devil, Satan himself, that is the Satan himself being the key person in this without me getting into great detail, but let's say Satan himself and the seed of the woman, that is Jesus, the Messiah. So even in Genesis three and 15, we see an introduction basically in the birth. I'm going to deal with the seed of the woman in the birth of Jesus, the seed of the woman. And then he continues to say, what will happen to the seed of the woman? The seed of the woman will be bruised on the heel by the seed of the serpent. That speaks of the death and crucifixion of Christ. But then he says, what does the seed of the woman ultimately do? The seed of the woman ultimately crushes the seed of the serpent. That speaks of, and, and I think that's a more flavorful inclusionary uh, things about the actions of Jesus in the crushing of Jesus. I'm sorry, in the crushing of the seed of the serpent, that is Satan. That will deal with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. However, culminating to the very end of Revelation, where we find that Satan is once and for all cast into the lake of fire. His ultimate destruction will be by Jesus, the Messiah, the seed of the woman. So the point I'm making is this. Notice in that fragmentary prophecy, we, he deals with, with, with he, he goes way into time, approximately 4,000 years into the future, to the birth of Jesus. He doesn't cover anything else, the resurrection of Jesus, and then even to the ultimate triumph of Christ. When I say ultimate, that is the lake of fire. And in such a small way, in such a small piece of prophecy. So, but nevertheless, and so bit by bit, God would give certain prophecies and these prophecies would be centered for the most part around or concerning Jesus the Messiah. Okay. So let's try to bring this into a nutshell before I make this more longer than it has to be. Progressive revelation is the idea of where God has communicated his words through the prophets or through the mediums of the prophets. 
And we're going to get to a more perfect definition in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Okay. But it is done in such a way that God has communicated it down through the ages, through select people, the prophets, piece by piece, a little bit at a time, without respect to chronological order. But in the final days, he has communicated that final, unchangeable, un, you cannot add to it. Uh, so what unappended, you cannot add to the word through Jesus, the Messiah, which since I'm already here is why the reason we have revelation, the very book of revelation. And even if you look at the very beginning of revelation, notice it is that which came from God to the son, to the angels, to John. But the point is, it is the revelation of Jesus, the Messiah. So the final word of revelation, and I'm not talking about the book of revelation, but the final communicated word of prophecy. Notice we're talking about what again? Progressive revelation. The final communicated word of prophecy is given through the son. And that's the idea of progressive revelation. Now we see that now let's go to Hebrews one and one and also verse number two. I kind of guys, I kind of want to talk to you about it in the, in the Greek that is given through the Greek text. I tell you what, let's work with the Greek text today. And the reason why I want to work through the Greek text is because when we read it in English, the Greek text is a little bit different and the English misses out on the emphasis that the Greek text is driving about progressive revelation. Now, once again, what are we talking about? Progressive revelation, but we're going to use Hebrews one verses one and two to give us an explanation of that. That's what we see in the scripture. Okay. We see it in the scripture. But at the same time, you know, I always like to let you guys know whenever we're looking at a particular text in a particular book, as long as we don't go too far off to the right, the context or the intent of the writer, the point of the writer in the book of Hebrews, here's the whole idea. And it helps you to grasp progressive revelation, uh, the concept of it in the first place. When the writer in the book of Hebrew was writing, he was writing to Jews probably second, most likely second generation Jews. And I'm not going to get into all of the details behind that, but second generation Jews and the and the idea was this, they were suffering because they were believers in Jesus as Messiah. And they were suffering this difficulty because of other Jews. And that is most likely the issue of the Sanhedrin religious Jews. Pharisees, Sadducees, things of that nature. You saw what was going on with Jesus in the Gospels. So those people, those Jews who were believers in Jesus were being persecuted by other Jews. Now, what they were thinking about was turning away from Jesus momentarily. And so when they would turn away from Jesus momentarily and return back to the sacrificial system in the temple. Y'all remember that was going on in Jesus's day. Okay. This is also going on in their day. So they were thinking about, well, we'll just turn back to the sacrificial system at that time. 
And then once the persecution dies down, we'll return back to Jesus like we did in the first time. Okay, that's the idea. But what the writer of the book of Hebrews and the writer of Hebrews, for the most part, is unknown. We really don't know precisely. A few guesses who may have written it, but we don't know exactly who wrote it. But the writer of Hebrews was writing to encourage them to remain with Jesus as Messiah. Keep believing, keep holding on to Jesus, even under this temporary time of distressing, because Jesus is far greater than the Mosaic system. Jesus is far greater than the Levitical, the Aaronic system, the Aaronic priesthood. And you have to understand about all that kind of stuff to even get the point that I'm making here. But so what he does is as he opens in Hebrews one and one, he opens. And this is basically what the idea of Hebrews is all the way about from basically Hebrews chapter one up until about Hebrews chapter 10 is basically comparing how Christ is more. That is Jesus is more excellent. He is more excellent. And so what he is doing here in his opening verses is he is explaining how that the revelation given through Jesus is more excellent or better than the, the, the revelation that was given in time past through the prophets. Did you get that? Okay, I'll say it again because we're talking about progressive revelation. Now I'll bring that part in too. Verses one and two, he's opening up with the concept, the principle that Jesus is better than, more excellent. And the point that he's opening up with here is revelation, the word that is given to Jesus. So he wants to, he's going to talk about the quality of that word. What makes the revelation different than it was before? But in understanding all of that, so slowing it down, in understanding what makes the revelation through Jesus so much better, what the writer will do for us is he will define progressive revelation. Did you get it? Okay, so without making this long, let's work with the, it, it, okay, let, let's first read it in the English text. God, notice that the subject came first in English, God. After he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in in many portions and in many ways. Now, what you're going to find out is, notice, God, subject, in English, we're working the English, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways. When you actually get to the Greek text, it doesn't read that way. And what I mean is, it translates that way. But the order of the text reads in a different way. And because it reads in a different way, it lets you see the emphasis of the writer and not only simply the emphasis, but his intent in how he wrote it, why he wrote it that way. OK, but I finish the English version of it and then we'll come back. We'll look over the Greek version and then we'll try to uh, uh, pull out our definition through the text itself, the meaning of progressive revelation. In these last days, I'm at verse number two, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things 
through whom also he made the world. All right. Now, that's the reading. Now, let's move over to our Greek text. And it's, it's fine if you don't understand the Greek. We're gonna work, I'm going to work you through it. I'm going to help you through it. Okay. But we'll pull out the meaning that the writer is trying to say. So he begins and says, polymeros kai polytropos palai. The first thing that he says is polymeros. In many parts, kai polytropos, and in many ways, and many ways, palai, formally. Palai means formally or long ago. So the first thing he says is, in many parts, and in many ways long ago. So that is the fair, it's a beautiful thing. That is progressive revelation in a nutshell, not in, not, not in totality now, but it perfectly explains the first part of it. Many parts, notice what we were saying once earlier, when God revealed his word, his plan, whatever, it came here, it may come in Isaiah, it may come in Jeremiah, it may come in Moses, you see in the Pentateuch, the first five books, it may come in all types of the prophets, but it only comes in parts, you see it, in parts. And then he says, in many ways. So whether it is the spoken word of God, whether it is the word that is revealed to the mind, or you'll even see wonderful things like in the book of Genesis and the word of the Lord appeared to Abraham. That's an amazing concept, but we can't deal with that. You'll see it with that or we'll see it by virtue of demonstration. Say with the prophet Ezekiel and God would tell him to do certain little things, a hole in the side of his home and things of that nature or, or to lay on his side for so many days through virtue of demonstration again in many parts, in many ways. And now we finally get to our subject, Hathaos, God, la lesos tois patrasin, God spoke to the fathers. That is God being the subject, of course, but then the intended audience is the fathers, that is the Jewish fathers. So he sets it up first for us, many parts, many different ways, long time ago. And that's the idea, part, 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 long ago to the direct audience, to the fathers. Then he said, then he says, and toys prophetas, that is in the prophets, or we can understand it as by the prophets, by the mouth of the prophets. So now that's the comparative thing. I don't wanna to get too much into that, but that's the comparative thing statement that we will have addressing the greatness of Jesus because notice now it is a great thing. Think Jewish in this sense, Jewish, those who receive the revelation of God. Okay. It is a great thing to receive the revelation by virtue of the prophets. It is a great thing to receive it, but nevertheless, you only got it in part and in many different ways, kind of considered in a chopped up way. You got it. But nevertheless, it is still a great thing to receive revelation by virtue of the prophets. But now let's continue in verse number two. On or in, in the last of these days. So now he has moved us to 
we can even say from the perspective of the writer, okay? It also pertains to us as well. However, but to the perspective of the writer in his time, he's referring to in, but now at this time, if we would use that type of a language, he spoke to us in a son. So now that's the elevated language that he's talking about. In other words, okay, let me explain that part. So I'm going to use stuff that's confusing. Now the audience is different. At one time, he used the prophets, wonderful, to speak to the fathers, great, in many portions, many ways, long ago. Nothing, nothing chronological. Bop, 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 bop. Now, here's the distinction. Not in the past, but now we are enjoying even greater benefits because the same God is now speaking to us but no longer in the prophets, but he has spoken to us to a, I'm sorry, through a unique one. And that is a son. Now you'll see in the English part, it says his son, but actually the word his is not in the Greek text. They should have italicized that. But nevertheless, the point is that notice where God once spoke through a prophet, good. Now he speaks in a son, even better, elevated language, okay? Then it says, through whom, uh, okay, let me, han ethekon kleronimon ponton, that is, whom he put or appointed, idea is, whom he made, whom he, whom he appointed uh, heir, of all things. That's the idea. Whom he appointed heir of all things. Again, elevated language. A prophet, great. But a prophet is only a spokesman of God. But Jesus is different. This one, whom this revelation comes from, he's not simply a spokesman. He is the heir. He is the heir of what? He is the heir of of all things. And then the final construction we want to deal with is di who ka e poison tus aonas. Through whom also, or even through whom also he made, that is God made, tus aonas. And aonas. Now, in the English it says, through whom also he made the world. But, but now this is. Well, this is just not a good uh, uh, translation whatsoever, because first of all, it's in the plural, tus aonas, and aonas means age. The idea is through whom also he made the ages. Okay, I'm slowing it down so I don't get too excited. Once again, notice it brings in, okay, what, what does it say? What does it say? This son not only is a vehicle of revelation, that is Jesus, but this son is also one who is involved in creation. You see it now? Through whom, this is John chapter one, all right? This is John chapter one, whom God made all things through the son. This is bringing in that same idea. Also, again, the greatness of Jesus. Prophets, God ain't made nothing through them like that. But through Jesus, 
God made the ages. Now, what I want you to understand about that is this, and I think I'm kind of deterring a little bit off of the progressive revelation. But since I'm here, allow me to talk about it. Through whom he made the ages. This speaks of power and sovereignty because it's talking about how God has made all things in accordance to his will. Everything will work according to a predetermined outcome of God. So it's not just the world itself dealing with the material universe. That's how it's kind of translated here in the NESB in the English version. It looks at the world or the idea may be the universe. Okay. Which term it would have used cosmos, but it didn't use the term cosmos here. It used aonos, which means the ages to come. The first, okay, okay, make you understand, age. We basically have this age, say for instance, ages can be understood a different kind of way, but let me make you understand it in this way. God creates the world, all right? When he creates the world and all that's gonna be in the world, the things that, how things will be, how things will be for this time period. Say for instance, up until the death of Christ and then peradventure after the resurrection of Christ. But that's really not a good example of age because basically we can see age in two primary senses, the temporal age and the eternal age. Now that's, that, now that's the direct on point difference dealing with the ages. But the idea is as the universe itself moves to a predetermined end. Did you get it? I think that's a good way you can understand it. Ionis, age, universe, all things moving to an end in a way that has been predetermined by God. So let's back it up just a little bit so I can get back to progressive revelation, what it is. So we see again, progressive revelation Notice in the very first part of the verse, when it talks about polymeros in small parts, many parts, and polytropos, many ways, God speaks by the prophets, through the prophets, okay? Progressive revelation, little bit by little bit. Then it says, however, but in these last days, he has spoken to us in a son, that is final revelation. So the, you move from parts and parts and parts a little bit at a time until you get to a full revelation. And that full and complete and final. Full, complete, final. Sometimes in Greek you'll see that word like telos, which means goal, end, or completion. Things of that nature. It means like that. That final revelation is given in the sun. And so that's what we mean by progressive revelation. You see God giving parts long ago as we move through time. But finally, he gives the complete revelation in Jesus the Messiah. Because the bottom line is all of it pertains for the most part to Jesus as Messiah. Okay? But... God gives that final revelation complete through the Son 
so that that revelation cannot be added unto. So the idea of progressive revelation is God giving it in part until we come to Christ. So therefore it will be through Jesus and his select apostles, because that's the idea through Christ, that the final revelation of God will be given. All right, guys, thanks for joining me in that little teaching on progressive revelation. I know you probably heard me use that term a thousand times and never tried to explain it. I hope I did a, a good job of helping you understand exactly what it means. But anyway, thanks for joining me. I'll see you next time.